Thank you so very much for that good gospel message and song. I want to thank everyone who's been praying for um, Pastor Silver. Uh, this past week, he was in a car accident and he is fine. He's been to the hospital, got checked out. And he seems all right. Uh, his car, though, is another story. So uh, they towed that in a sick bay and uh, he's got a loner. So uh, praise the Lord, things weren't worse than what they were. We don't understand always why it is God allows these things, but we can trust in his mercy. And uh, this is what I want to talk about today, is God's mercy. And so with your Bible open there at Psalm 136, Well, it's pretty hard to, um, to not see that this is a psalm about mercy. Now, we only read the first nine verses, but there's a tremendous um, history of Israel here and how God has been so good to his people. Why? For his mercy endureth forever. As I mentioned earlier, I'd like to do a series on the qualities of God. And we'll start today with this subject of mercy. And I'll tell you right up front, I do not know all there is to know about the mercy of God. The mercy of God is, it's not a bucket, it's not a well, it's bigger than the ocean. And I don't think there's a man alive that knows all about the mercy of God. But praise his name that he's a merciful God. Let's begin with prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, now we pause and humble ourselves once again before your almighty throne and we thank you that we're able to be here today. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us. You met us when we walked through the door. Thank you we can come into your house and call upon your name. And it's true, it's true. The Lord is nigh upon all them that call upon him. And Father God, we call upon you now. And we ask you please to teach us about your mercy. And how that applies to our lives and how we can be merciful. Please make it real to us. Father, we pray that if there be one here, a man, woman, or young person who's not yet received Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior. Oh, Heavenly Father, that you'd please open the eyes of their understanding and help them to see their desperate need of the Savior today. Not to put it off, but to repent of personal sin and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior today of their lives. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, something I think that you'll agree with is that uh, over time, the meaning of words can change. We have words that we use today that our forefathers used and meant something different by them. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, gay. Did you know it really wasn't that many years ago when it meant cheerful? It has a different meaning now today, doesn't it? And so we have to be careful of that word. Another word that uh, has changed is the word awful. We use awful in that idea of something being, you know, we make a face and it's like, ooh, you're sucking on a lemon or cod liver oil. Ooh, awful, we say. And yet the word awful meant full of awe. Full of awe. In that sense, God is awful. 
But we don't use it that way these days, do we? Another word that's changed in its meaning is the word mercy. Today, we use it to you know, refer to being compassionate or caring, loving, forgiving, this sort of thing. Mercy, 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 have mercy. The word's changed. You ever heard the story of the, uh, the big old lion that was asleep under a, a tree and a little mouse poked its head up through its little hole in the ground and saw the, the lion and the mouse thought, boy, wouldn't it be fun to run across that lion's chest and tickle him and wake him up? Wow, it's like a little boy ringing a doorbell, right? Running away. Any, anyone here ever done that when they were a kid? Rang a doorbell and run away? Ah, oh, few of us. I did that. The lion caught me. I got caught by the lion and so did the mouse. As he was running across the lion's chest, bloop, the lion caught him in, the, in his paw. And of course, the, the, the mouse was just in a fit of fright and beside himself. And he said, oh, Mr. Lion, be merciful. Be merciful to me. Let me go and I'll repay you that mercy one day. And so the lion smiled and thought, all right, why not? And put the mouse down and the mouse was so thankful. Thank you, thank you, and took off. Later that day, as the lion was walking, prowling around, he stepped into a hunter's net. Whoosh, up he went. And he roared, tried to get out, but he couldn't. But his roars attracted the attention of the mouse, who came and paid back that merciful act of kindness by chewing and gnawing through the ropes of the net, and the lion was free. Isn't that a wonderful phony story? It does. It's, it's a nice story. I know it's a nice story and it warms our hearts. But you know something? That is not the meaning of the word mercy. That is not what it means. How many have heard the word mercenary? Raise your hand if you've ever heard mercenary. Oh, not as many as I would have thought. Just about quite a few though. The word mercenary, we think of a hired gun, right? But a mercenary literally is someone who works for pay. You pay him, he'll work for you. How many here today work for pay? Would you raise your hand, all you mercenaries? Because literally, technically, that's what the word originally meant. Now, I know we're, we're going back in time a bit, but words change their meaning. The origin of the word mercy is tied in with a Latin word meaning merchandise or goods or wares that are sold. And soon the idea of payment for those wares, payment for those goods that came to, to be connected. In around the 6th century, the Christians started using this word that we know as mercy. They started using that word, of course it was a Latin word at the time, to mean heavenly reward for helping the helpless. They were looking for a word, and that's the word they chose. The helpless, they have needs but they're helpless. Otherwise, they'd meet their own needs. There are most or many needs you have that you just reach in your pocket and throw money at it and you fix your problem. You need a, your car towed or a mechanic job or something. You reach in your pocket and take out a little piece of plastic. And there you go. You've met the need. You're hungry. You pull in and buy something and you pay for it. And you've met your need. But there are all kinds of people who can't do what you and I can do. 
There are lots of people in the world that have many needs, but are unable to fulfill them. And this is the idea of mercy. We help someone now, and we wait till we get to heaven to get paid. We are sort of mercenaries in that aspect. We help the helpless now, and we'll get our pay in heaven. That's the idea of mercy. Now, when it comes to God's mercy, now God knows our needs. And he knows that there are many times when we cannot help ourselves, we're in something over our head. We are unable to help ourselves. And so God will bend low and he will help us. And then he'll wait until we get to heaven where we can worship him and adore him and serve him 24-7 forever. But by the way, don't wait till heaven to start paying back the debt you owe. You and I have a debt. We have a debt of love. We have a wonderful God who's loved us and is very merciful to us. And we need to be loving him back and serving him every day. If you're here today and you just can't think of anything, you know, to be thankful to God for, you're in pretty sad shape. Did you know every breath that you take is a gift of God? Every time your heart beats, the gift of God. And I'll guarantee you, there are tens of thousands of people around the world today gasping for their last breath, doing everything in their power to get just one more breath, just one more breath. And how easily you and I can draw breath. The gift of God, let's not forget it. I was at a funeral service yesterday, celebration of life for a man named Brian Street. And I, I believe from what I know of the man and talking with others that Brian is in heaven. He trusted Christ as his personal savior some years ago, and he is in heaven. It's amazing how many lives that one man touched. And he was like 61 years of age, died of cancer. To me, that's too young. My opinion only. But God made a decision there. And his reasons, we don't know yet. But God makes no mistakes. God will use that, I'm sure, in many people's lives to help to draw them to himself. Because God is not willing that any should perish, right? That's what he says. But that all should come to repentance. That's God's overall general plan for all mankind is to come to repentance. And he's commissioned you and I who are saved, you and I who know him. We've been tasked, we've been commissioned to help spread that gospel. That's why every Christian ought to be involved with two things. Number one, supporting missionaries, gospel preaching missionaries, not missionaries who run around the world to plant corn, build outhouses and paint rooms. Forget that. Get involved with missionaries that are taking the gospel, the life-changing, life-saving, soul-saving gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. They're getting to places you and I can't get to. Support them. Get on the bandwagon. Faithfully support them. And number two, every Christian should be involved somehow with letting their own light shine. With trying to reach the lost in our city. People around them. Many Christians don't know how to do that. I've got good news. In our church, we offer a training course twice a year. And the next one is coming up in a couple of months. Stay tuned. We take six Saturdays, one hour per Saturday, and we train you on how to let your light shine. And that takes away the fear factor. You're not, all of a sudden no longer paralyzed, or I, maybe I should say dismayed. 
from what we learned today, dismayed by fear. You're no longer. You're able to let your light shine. So we do that twice a year. We believe that's proper, that every church ought to do that. Anyhow, this idea of mercy is something that's very key to God. Very key to God. And we need to be very thankful to him for that mercy. But we ourselves need to be merciful. We're told in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. So God looks down from heaven, so to speak, and he sees our need and he helps us with our need even though we can't pay him for his help. Man's greatest primary need is salvation. More than food. We need to be saved because eternity is a long time, folks. This physical life that you and I are living, this is the shortest part of your entire existence. It's a drop in the ocean compared to eternity. Our greatest need as human beings is to be born again into God's family, to have our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. This is our greatest need. After that, we still have other needs, that's for sure. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, we couldn't save ourselves. God saves us. That's why Jesus came. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he died for your sins and my sins on the cross. And salvation is a gift. It's not a, uh, a reward. It's not a, 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 a something you purchase. You don't buy it. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. It's not crowned upon you for some achievement. It's a gift. And you either receive it or you reject it. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated at all. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whew. Don't you think we need that? I do. This city sure does. That's our city on the map over there. 600,000 people. We are trying to reach the city. The shaded in parts in red are areas in which we've knocked on doors and given gospel tracts. And we've given out tens of thousands and yet still look how much more of the city we've got to go. We could use some more help, folks. You could join the fire brigade. The fire brigade is a wonderful ministry. You don't have to talk to anyone. You just be out there with us and we put gospel literature in mailboxes. Or you could learn how to talk and win souls to Christ. He that winneth souls is wise. Very important that every church be involved in trying to reach their city. It's called soul winning. Well, the Apostle Paul says in Titus chapter 3 verse 5 that we are saved by mercy, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. That means he looked down and saw our helplessness. He saw we we're on our way to hell. And he saved us. Hallelujah. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now this Psalm 136, all 26 verses reminds us it speaks of some of God's mercy and it reminds us that his mercy is great for his mercy endureth forever in all these different areas it's wonderful it's phenomenal his mercy is great now let me ask you a question would you raise your hand as if to say boy I want God's mercy in my life 
Any hands today? That's not even half. Folks, can you hear me? Are you wanting? Oh, there's we go. That's better. Yeah, I'm asking a real question. Hey, look, both of mine are up. I want God's mercy in my life. And I'm sure you do too. A fool, only a fool would say no, to be quite honest. A fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Remember that. We all want God's mercy. We want the showers of his mercy in our lives. But notice what we often only see are the mercy drops. Just a little spitting rain here and there of his mercy. What we want is to be showered upon with God's mercy. That's what we want. So the question is, why? Why don't we see more of God's mercy? I have a suggestion. Let's turn back to Psalm 18. Psalm 18, I think, may have the answer for us. God's mercy, listen to this. God's mercy supplies jobs. God's mercy supplies health. God's mercy gives life. God's mercy gives blessings. God's mercy gives answers to prayer. And on the list goes. Oh yes. We want to see a lot of God's mercy in our lives. But in Psalm 18, I think we have possibly the answer as to why we don't see more of God's mercy in our lives. We won't read the whole Psalm, just one verse. If you look, please, with me at verse 25. And read out loud together with me the first half of this verse. Verse 25, Psalm 18. Read it out loud now. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Now let's read that just one more time, a little slower. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And so if we're understanding this right, this is like the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. If we're not experiencing somewhat generous amounts of God's mercy in our lives, his help and his blessings and so on, it might be because we ourselves are not showing ourselves to be merciful to others. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Now think of it again. Do you really want God's mercy in your life? It's either a yes or no. And if the answer is a yes, then according to Psalm 1825, there's something you and I better be involved with. And that's mercy. We'd better start showing to others what we want God to show to us. Because we will reap what we sow. The law of the harvest. You know, here's the amazing truth about all this. Believe it or not, God actually wants you and I to be more like him. He wants us to imitate him. He wants us, wherever we go, to reflect him so that others can see God in us. We know that because the Bible says in Ephesians 5.1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Do you remember in Romans chapter 12 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul wrote, If thine enemy hunger, feed him. Now if your enemy was hungry, why doesn't he feed himself? Because maybe he can't. 
Maybe your enemy is experiencing some of the wrath of God on his life. Maybe your enemy is reaping what he has sown. He's tried or she has tried to tear you down or speak bad of you. And all of a sudden things go bad for them. Someone at work maybe has tried to put the knife in your back and assassinated your character and spread lies about you. And that's hurt. It hurt you. It hurt you. And you're praying that God would work in, in that enemy's heart and turn them around and you're driving to work and all of a sudden you see their car on the side of the road where they got a flat tire. Some Christians would say, yes! The Bible teaches us to pull over. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If thine enemy had a flat tire, get out and help. Oh, but I might break a nail. Yeah, you might. You might get wet if it's raining. You might get a little mud on your shoes. But I'll tell you what, God will use that to pour coals of fire upon his head. That'll help bring him to Christ faster than any sermon that you could ever, or I could ever preach. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. You know what that is? Mercy. He doesn't deserve it. Ever heard the story of, remember Napoleon? Napoleon Bonaparte, the the French uh, little general there that found himself and nearly took over Europe, by the way. Amazing guy, really. One of his guards fell asleep on post, and that's a capital offense. When you're on post watching for the enemy, you fall asleep. Penalty is death. And so he was in jail, in military jail. He'd been condemned. The young man's mother managed to speak to Napoleon and said, Napoleon, she said, please free my son. No, he doesn't deserve it, madam. He fell asleep on his post. She said, Napoleon, have mercy on my son. Napoleon said, madam, he doesn't deserve mercy. She said, Napoleon, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. As the story goes, he thought about that, said, you're right. And he let the guy off. I couldn't tell you if that's a true story. I sure hope it is. But it does kind of illustrate something. When your enemy is hunger, good, let him starve to death. No. Feed him. That's what you're supposed to do because you overcome evil with what? Good. You don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. So you do anything in your power to help your enemy. Many, many years ago, my wife and I, our children, we were living in the city of Ottawa and across the street and down two houses was a lady who took it upon herself to become our enemy. Everything she could possibly do to make life miserable for us, she did. I had parked my car on the street. She called the city. She found out what the bylaws were, found that I was over my three-hour limit or whatever it was. She called the city and had me ticketed. She did incredible things to make life miserable for us. And we were so tempted to just call down fire from heaven, you know. The Lord reminded us that's not how you do it. And so what we did was we sent her flowers anonymously with a card that said from a secret admirer. You know, that night my wife and I slept really good. We didn't have any bitterness because we overcame evil with good. You know, there's no mistake. If you've got an enemy, there's no mistake. There's God didn't make a mistake. He knows what he's doing. 
And if we would just do it God's way, I think we would get more of God's results here. In Luke 6.36, Jesus said, Be ye therefore merciful, even as your Father also is merciful. There's the command right there. And maybe, just maybe, the reason why you and I are not getting more of God's mercy is because we are not giving out mercy. Now, this is a challenge to everyone today, and it's a challenge to me. We ourselves must begin to show ourselves merciful. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, it goes back to the law of the harvest that you reap what you sow. And listen, you reap according to what you sow. If a farmer had 10 acres and he went out with one seed and dropped it in the center of his field, what kind of harvest do you think he would get? Well, nothing if the crow sees it, right? But if he did get, you know, one plant, you know, he'd be lucky. But the farmer who goes out and is liberal with his seed in the field, that's the guy that's going to tend to get a good harvest. And so you'll reap not only what you sow, but according to what you sow as well. I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to the New Testament Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at one example of this. It's a practical example in Luke chapter 6. The words of our Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 6. I'd like to solicit your help. You're good readers. And I'd like you to help me to read this verse number 38. Luke 6, 38. Please read it out loud with me now. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And I'd like to suggest to you, this is not just money. This is time, talents, and treasures. You and I have been blessed with those three. Time, talents, and treasures. It seems to be the, uh, the depth and breadth and uh, height and depth, I guess, and length or whatever you call it, of what it is we have. God tells us in Proverbs 11.25, The liberal soul shall be made fat. And he that watereth shall, also, shall be watered also himself. And it's the law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. When we become generous toward others, then it obligates God to become generous toward us. When we become merciful with others, it obligates God to fulfill his promise and be merciful to us. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. We cannot be merciful and stingy at the same time. You cannot be loud and quiet at the same moment. We cannot be generous and cheap wads at the same moment. There's a story about a man who wanted to take his son out for a little little snack and to spend time with his son. So he took his boy to McDonald's. And he went and he bought him some french fries large order of french fries and the boy was all excited they sat down together at the table dad placed the french fries there in front of his son and his boy you know started to do what boys do for two hands right they started eating the french fries well the father did what any father would do he reached over and 
took one of the French fries. He wanted to test it, try it, taste it. All of a sudden, the boy reached out, slapped his father's hand and said, Hey, those are my French fries. Wow. Well, the father realized that his son had a problem with selfishness. (laughs) That's part of human nature. The father also realized, wait a minute. I'm the one who bought those French fries. I own those French fries. You're my son. I own you. The father thought. The father also thought, son, if I wanted to, I could buy you so many French fries, I could bury you in French fries right where you sit. And you get all upset because I reach and take one of your French fries. I wonder how many of us Christians feel that way. When God blesses us with so much and then he reaches to take something and we slap his hand as if to say, Mine. I wonder how many parents have done that. God has called a son to the ministry. You can't have my boy. He's mine. Well, maybe I shouldn't have preached that. God has blessed us with jobs and cash flow, cars and houses and clothes and food. And then he asks for the tithe. No, you don't. I can't afford to. Don't we realize that God, if he wanted to, could just bury us in money? Or he could take away every last penny we have. This may be why we're struggling when it comes to seeing more of God's mercy in our lives. I want you to know that you have a very wealthy daddy in heaven. Your heavenly father can do anything, anything, anything. Folks, you know, it's no secret. We need a new church building. You say, yeah, I know that pastor, but you see, have you seen the price of land lately? Like around here, $2 million an acre or something like that. And then the cost of building and then trying to get it developed, going through all the red tape at city hall and so on. It's going to require a miracle. And I say, amen. Because we serve a God of miracles. Listen, if we could all just take an offering this morning and reach into our pocket or purse and take out sufficient money, you know, 10, 15, 20 million dollars, put it in an offering plate, boom, we have a building. Then people say, hey, how'd you get that building? Well, we took an offering one day. No, it's not going to work that way. Not in God's economy. God keeps us a little on the poor side. Have you noticed that? So that we go to him in prayer. Oh dear Lord, please do a miracle. This is way beyond us. Most of us know there's a building available up on 104. That building, when it's fixed up to code, is going to have a street value of about $30 million. Well, you know, I checked my pockets and every suit I have. I don't have $30 million. I don't know of anyone in my life that has $30 million, let alone in the church. This is beyond us, folks. This is going to require God. Isn't that what you want anyhow? 
So that one day people say, how'd you get that building? Oh, we got on our knees before God and we prayed and God started doing these miracles to his honor, to his glory. He had mercy on us. Say, boy, wouldn't that be great? You know, what's going to help that to happen is when you and I start being merciful to others. God will be merciful to us. We're bringing this sermon into a close. I hope the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone's heart today. Maybe you're here today and you're saved. You know you're saved. You love the Lord, but you're a bit of a tightwad, a cheapskate when it comes to being merciful to others. You know what you need to do? You need to start with the small things. You know, I want to be merciful. I want to be like my Heavenly Father, but I'm not sure how. How can I do that? Well, that's a common question. A lot of us have that, that question. But in order for me to get from here over to the end of the platform, I can't do it in one step, can I? Maybe someone could, but I can't. I have to take several small steps to get over there. But I will get over there if I start and take a few steps. And it's like that with mercy. You start with the little things. And before you know it, you're really showing yourself merciful. You're really being like your heavenly father. Keep your eyes open for opportunities, little acts of kindness you can do. You know, a big problem with a lot of Christians going to restaurants. The bill comes and they first think, well, should I leave a tip or shouldn't I? Well, okay, I'll leave 10%. Why don't you leave 15%? Well, no, God even only gets 10%. Why should I give 15%? A $20 bill, 10% is only a dollar. No, it's $2, isn't it? See, I failed math. Why don't you try 20%? You could do it. It's just you don't want to do it because it hurts. 20%? You mean, let me see, carry the one. $4? A $4 tip? Yeah, why not? And then put a gospel tract with it. Some Christians, they, they don't leave a tip and they leave a, a gospel tract. Doesn't go over as good. You can show yourself, you can afford to show yourself merciful. Because when you do, your heavenly father is going to see it. And he's going to smile and he's going to show himself merciful right back to you. This is something that I learned years ago. Hey, I can afford to do it. Why? Because as I do it, God does it to me. That's Luke 6, 38. And I've proven it over and over and over and over. And I try my best to do that. When I go to visiting churches and they have an offering, I try to give deep. I say to myself, now what's going to hurt? I got a five or I got a 20. Which one's going to hurt me more? The 20. That's the one I give. No pain, no gain. You can afford to be generous. Now listen, I'm not saying stupid. Don't sign over the title deed of, you know, your house and your cottage and boat and your mother-in-law and your kids. Don't do that. That's dumb. But leave a decent tip. How about the, the girls that come and knock on your door selling Girl Guide cookies? You want how much for that box of cookies? 
Well, huh, I don't know. Can we barter? No, don't do that. Five dollars? Wait a minute. We run and get five dollars or get six. You say, but don't you know what some of these? Listen, it's all right. You can do it. You can afford to do it. The lemonade stand, you know, kids sometimes have a lemonade stand, you know, 50 cents, a dollar or something like that. Well, for that, yeah, do it or give two dollars or something. Show yourself merciful. Those are the little things. I'm, I'm wrestling with myself whether to share this with you or not. But I want you to know that I would never ask you to do something that I, I would not do myself. Because I'm just wanting to preach the truth. That's all I'm interested in. And God's truth works. A few months ago, we set up a building fund. And we have $92,500 in it. We're close to a first hundred thousand. How about that? And we talked about asking God for money out of the blue. How many remember that? Raise your hand. If you remember that, we talked about asking God for money out of the blue, not asking you to go break open your piggy bank. We're asking you to ask God to give you money. You don't have so you can take that money and put it into God's building fund. And I said at that time, Luke six thirty eight, you give to trigger God's giving. And so that's what I did. I found someone with a need and I gave him $500. And then God gave me 15,000. I put it in the building fund. You say, weren't you tempted to keep it? Yeah. And then if you prick me, I bleed too. Yeah, of course I was tempted. Who wouldn't be? But if I had kept any of that money, then it would have shut off the windows of heaven. Satan would have had a legitimate accusation against me because my whole reason for doing that was to honor God's building fund. You can't tell me it doesn't work. I know it works. And I'll tell you something else. In a couple of months, I will have been saved, born again for 45 years. Before I was saved, in December of 1974, I started tithing. It's been over 45 years and I've never seen God fail me. You can't tell me tithing doesn't work. Oh, it's an Old Testament promise. Of course it is. And God wrote it. It's still good today. If you want more of the mercy of God in your life, on your family, on your marriage, on your children, on your parents, Hey, how about in your job and career? If you want more of the mercy of God, then you need to start showing yourself merciful because he told us with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Stand to your feet for prayer, would you?